So you can usually cut the tension with a knife. If I have learned anything in my short time in ministry, it's that when we gather around a hospital or hospice bed to say goodbye to a family member or a dear friend, if I've learned anything, it's that in those moments, tensions can often run high. And while this may not always be the case, it is my experience more often than not that when it is time to say goodbye to someone who has been in our, to, to someone who's been a saint in our life, we respond in one of two ways. It is a time of great grace where we celebrate the dear saint before us and God's work through them in our lives. Or tensions run high as personalities who in the past have typically avoided one another at the Thanksgiving dinner are now forced to come together. In these moments, tension is created and we take our eyes off of God and the one that is laying before us and we turn our attention to the behavior of the personality that we have avoided for so long. We ignore what God has done and is doing in that moment and instead we focus on what they, that person we avoid, has done to wrong us. There is a tension between our two scripture readings this morning. One focuses on the early church, and really us, the church of today. And the other looks to the church that is to come. Meaning God's kingdom finally taking reign. The tension lies between the behavior that you and me, the saints of today, and then the behavior of the saints in their full glory. Paul is writing to a church that's been living in that tension between the relationship of holy teaching and holy living. While John, the author of Revelation, is writing and looking at what is to come. Paul himself lived a holy life. Even before he was blinded by the light, Paul was a holy man. Paul was a Pharisee. And as I mentioned a few weeks ago, Pharisees were the hardliners when it came to the Torah. That he, Paul, and they, the Pharisees, followed and expected everyone else to follow a strict adherence to Jewish law. This is why he thought it was so important to root out the early Christian church from the temple and Jewish communities. Paul wanted to destroy the early Christian church. And he tried to do so through extreme violence against anyone, anyone who confessed faith in Christ. One of the reasons that Paul was so successful at doing this was because he lived a holy life, which then backed up his teaching. Paul was walking the walk that he was telling the early Christians that they should be walking. And now Paul is writing to the Thessalonians to tell them that, yes, the work of the church is holy, but so too is the worker. So while it's important to teach the gospel, yes, and to spread the gospel to every corner of the earth, yes, it is important to live holy lives worthy of the gospel at the same time. On the other hand, 
Revelation is looking at what is to come. The saints of yesterday and tomorrow, what they are experiencing and what we will experience when we arrive before God in glory. And can we just be honest with each other this morning? Revelation gets a really bad rap. When I saw this in our lectionary, I panicked. Because when we read Revelation or we hear of Revelation, we think of multi-headed beasts, robes dripping in blood and condemnation for those who we deem are outside the Christian faith. Revelation has really gotten a bad rap over the years. But that's not what Paul's writing about. There's no mentions of beast or blood dripping robes. Through the sacrifice of the Lamb, the Lamb referring to Jesus Christ, we experience redemption and glory. The purity that is expressed through the white robes mentioned by John is more a result of the blood of the Lamb washing each and every one of us clean and less about the holiness that we attempt to live out individually. The text provides comfort to us and really those we know, who have been weak or reluctant in our or their following of Jesus and the gospel message. Even though at times we are reluctant or we stumble, it is the Lamb of God that allows us to be in the presence of God and worshiping, even even if our lives on earth have been less than holy. Everyone being present from all times and places, confirms that not only was the number actually too large to count, but that those outside of Israel, Gentiles, people like you and me are present as well. This only confirms what we've already known, that Jesus' ministry was, yes, to Israel, but also to all of the world. So while the text from Thessalonians speaks to the holiness that we are supposed to live with, our reading from Revelation is only concerned with the holiness of the Lamb. Do you guys feel the tension? We have this world and that. Are we focused on our own behavior and actions, or is it only up to the Lamb, to Jesus, who can purify us, making us pure as white cloth and able to stand before God? Is it all about me and you, or is it all about Jesus? Some in the room might like to think it's always all about us. And then there's some in the room who like to think it's always about Jesus. And there lies the tension. Because every week, people like me stand in front of people like you, and we try to navigate this tension. Holy living now or great sacrifice? And to tell you the truth, those on this side would prefer that we avoid the tension. We like to lean towards works, the legal checkboxes, the things the Pharisees like Paul would have loved that need to be done to live a lifestyle that is concerned and considered holy. Or we lean more towards the sacrifice of Jesus. But rarely do we stand in the middle of Thessalonians and Revelation, standing in the middle of the tension that is the life we live now and the fullness of life that we can look forward to when we worship God with countless others without ceasing. A few years ago, two years ago now, I stood at the graveside of a dearly departed saint in my life. Sonny was a man's man, 
to everyone else, but to me, he was simply granddad. He could fix anything. He could outcuss anyone I know. I learned some good ones from him, too. Some combinations y'all would never think of. And he could sing every classic hymn from the hymnal better than anyone in the church choir. And as we stood at his graveside service, I reflected on what I knew about Sonny, what I knew about my grandfather. He rarely missed church, and he loved the classic hymns. But when the preacher stood by the hole in the ground next to the casket and said we could not be sure if Sonny was saved in this life, I felt the tension rise. I don't know if anybody else felt it, but I felt it. I leaned over to my brother, Drew, and I said, did he really just say that? And I thought to myself, that's not how you do this. You know, I'm not a seasoned pastor. I'm the first to admit that, but I have been in church long enough. And I've taken enough worship classes and I've sat where you all have, are sitting right now long enough to know that what that preacher said is the exact opposite of what you were supposed to say in that moment. In the midst of pain, suffering, and grief, you don't add questions about salvation. It's on that list of things you get when you graduate from seminary. Don't do this. It's like dropping the baby during a baptism. You don't do it. The two scripture texts that we read this morning... Make me want to take my Bible and shake it and shout and say, we do not do this on All Saints Sunday. We do not add tension to what is already an emotional morning for a lot of people. You don't on one hand speak of holy living and then on the other tell us that it only matters what Jesus does because only Jesus can make us holy before God. Because if Jesus is the one that can wipe the slate clean, holy living now doesn't make a whole bunch of sense. Because we are left with the same question that was posed at Sonny's graveside service. We don't know if we're saved or not. It is on Sundays like this that we don't add the tension. On a day when we remember those who helped to strengthen our faith. At a graveside remembering a saint that has now dawned on white robe. You do not ask these questions. You don't make those gathered feel anxious or uncomfortable with the tension that's now taking hold of the room or the cemetery. Fleming Rutledge, an Episcopal Episcopal priest, theologian, and one of my mentors wrote this. Life is difficult. Suffering is inevitable. Failures and disappointments are more likely to come to us than not. Separation and abandonment are part of life. Many questions cannot be answered in this life. Death is real. Perhaps what the graveside preacher knew was that in the midst of our tension, Christ is present. Because none of us, no one in this room on our own can be sure of our own salvation or the salvation of the saints who are dearly departed. But what we can be sure of that is in the midst of failure and disappointment, separation and abandonment, questions and even death. The only power that can overcome that tension is present. The power of our risen and ascended Jesus Christ conquering death is what overcomes the doubts we have in our ability to live the healthy lifestyle, the holy lifestyle that Paul is telling us that we need to live. 
What we miss in, in avoiding the tension between Thessalonians and Revelation is that while it may be hard in this life to have the confidence of knowing what happens at the end of the book, we know what happens at the end of the book. And if you don't know, you can flip to the end and find out. God wins. We win. Christ's holiness wins over failure, disappointment, separation, and abandonment. Paul's emphasis on holy living makes no sense if what John wrote in Revelation is not true. Knowing that the slain lamb is on the throne, that is what enables us to live in a way that otherwise feels like we are living in tension with the rest of the world. We know how the story ends. We know that while on one hand people will tell us it doesn't matter how we live because we don't know what will happen in the next life. But we, because of the sacrifice of Jesus, that sacrifice that was on our behalf, we know that when we join the saints dearly departed, we will join, join those already gathered in worshiping the Lamb, whose blood washed all of us clean. We are able to believe this promise because the same God who raised Jesus from the dead is a God who keeps promises and will continue to do so into eternity. Amen.